the idea is the whole idea underlying all the tips and tricks and herbs and protocols and all that is that depending on how out of balance you are, you need to get inside that sphere right. of balance okay. for your constitution. Mm-hmm. That's where a practitioner, an Ayurvedic doctor, someone comes in. Hello and welcome to Self Talk. I'm Rachel Astarte. Today I have as my guest Victor Briere, who is an Ayurvedic doctor. He's the co-founder of the International Institute of Ayurveda. Victor is a gifted pulse reader specializing in Ayurvedic diagnostic techniques and health counseling. His approach to wellness emphasizes the role and importance of lifestyle and dietary balance. He offers support needed to successfully address the root cause of illness and restore the body to balance. Welcome, Victor. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, So let's start basically. um, How did you get into your field? What was your calling? The calling actually came through uh, my Kundalini yoga practice. Um, I... Before I found Kundalini, if we can step backwards, I, um, I was practicing Iyengar yoga, which helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, I started practicing Iyengar yoga when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I immediately experienced the power of asana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew that there was much more to discover. After I finished college, I went traveling um, to the east and studied some yoga in Japan, um, and started kind of just dipping my toes in the pool of yoga, the vast pool of yoga. Mm -hmm. And of course, started learning more and more that it's much more than asana or the way we commonly think of it in the West as holding postures. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a whole, I mean, there's a massive world of breath work and meditation and all those things. So long story short, that led me down a path back in Los Angeles. Ironically, I went from the East to the West to find who's my current Kundalini yoga teacher. Now his name is Joseph rich. And, um, upon meeting him, I had, you know, that feeling it's like, okay, this is the guy, this is the guy who's going to mentor me. Mm -hmm. So he taught me everything I know about Kundalini yoga. I eventually became a Kundalini yoga teacher myself, uh, extremely powerful practice. Mm -hmm. And one day I, I, one of the reasons I initially met him was because I heard he gave good advice and I was looking to change careers. I was a real estate assistant in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were talking and we went through a few conversations and he said, do you know what Ayurveda is? I said, no, what's that? So that was at the age of 24. So he said, okay, go look some stuff up. So I did. And I, I fell in love. It was love at first viewing of mm-hmm. the art of being, which is a great Ayurvedic documentary. Oh. And ever since then, never looked back, combined the yoga practice with Ayurveda and made it my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that brings us to a very important question. And this is probably not an easy question to answer. You know what's coming. I know what's coming. What is Ayurveda, Victor? <laughs> Ayurveda. Um, I, you know, practice the little speech of what is Ayurveda and it changes every time I give it. <laughs> But that, that's Ayurveda. <laughs> yeah, that's Ayurveda. Exactly. Ayurveda is something that changes every time for every person that comes to receive it. Not in its basic principles, of course. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is that you are a unique being. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's called Prakruti in Ayurveda. It's that you have a unique body and it's like a fingerprint. So no one, no two people have the same fingerprint. Of course, there are commonalities between the fingerprints, but no one has an identical fingerprint as anyone else. Same thing with your entire body. Mm. So Ayurveda says, okay, that means no mass medicine. Nothing's going to work for no one thing's going to work for everyone. And basically, I need to form an intimate relationship with your physiology to learn what your balance point is. Or I don't like to use the idea of a point. I like to use the idea of a sphere. You know, you got some wiggle room in there. Okay. Right? okay. <laughs> um, so okay. we don't need to be perfectionists because that's an imbalance. Right. right. Um, so you have this kind of realm of balance in your constitution and you're born with that and you die with that. It never mm. changes throughout your life, physically mm. speaking. So we want to honor that. Ayurveda wants to honor that. And your entire health approach is based on that unique recipe that exists within your body. Mm. That's an easy way of saying it because, of course, it's, the body is extremely complex and is forming millions of functions all at once without us even thinking about it. Right. But there are these motifs. So, for example, for any of your listeners who know a little bit about Ayurveda already, um, I'm a primarily pitta dominant body type mm-hmm. you're more just by looking at you without knowing you a little bit more pitta vata that's exactly what my yes i took the, the little test there's so many tests out there but that's exactly what uh what came up beautiful sure and so then there my favorite 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 uh principle of ayurveda that goes real deep if you think about it is that the form is inseparable from the quality that it possesses so what does that mean? That means that the form of having pitta or a pitta dominant constitution, which is govern it, that type of constitution produces a lot of heat and acid very mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. That's the form is inseparable from the qualities it possesses. So you have this relationship of body types. That's what creates body types okay. that certain people with certain physiques are going to tend to be high in certain qualities. Mm-hmm. And that even permeates through the personality. So pitta, pitta people tend to get angry. They mm-hmm. tend to be high, extremely focused. They tend to be very intense. Mm-hmm. Vata people tend to move around a lot. They get very creative easily. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Kapha type people, which is the third body type for the most part. There are really seven body types, but we got to keep it simple. Okay. Um, they have the tendency to be very enduring um, they have a lot of persistence. They don't slow, they don't, they get a lot of momentum going. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. They can work long hours without exhausting and nice. losing. Whereas someone with a Vata type constitution will get tired after 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Um, no comment. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe not 10. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, half an hour. Yeah, but yeah. right. So, so, um, right. And so, so you're saying that the, then the the way that you might nourish yourself would be dependent upon what your body type needs or needs balance in. Exactly. And this is the big, this is the big thing, especially for our culture as it's evolved today, Mm -hmm. your body type is your body type. If you try to mimic someone else's body type, you are going to get extremely sick, Mm -hmm. whereas they will be healthy. So Mm -hmm. if I'll just use myself, if I, you know, try to look like a kapha, which a much denser tissue, like think football player, mm-hmm. right? Bait lineman, football player. Mm-hmm. If I try to match that body type, 
And so I go to the gym, I drink, you know, tons of protein powder and I lift tons of weights to try and bulk up and all that stuff. I'm going to get really sick. I'm going to, my body's not going to operate properly. Whereas the person who's naturally that way, no problem. If they tried to look like me, they would get sick. Right. Right. That's, I think that's really, um, illuminating because a lot of people think like, oh, this is an ideal body type. I don't have it. What do I need to do to get there? And, um, and it's hard to do that. It's not only hard to do that, you can actually feel the strain. You know, I remember myself trying to bulk up and, you know, do weights and threw my back out. And you know what I mean? It's like, you know, for a while it looks really nice, but then it doesn't feel uh, aligned. It doesn't feel aligned with who you are. It's not. And, you know, if we, if we want to, can we go into the, just a little bit of the energetic realms a little, you know, yes, All right. please, that's fair please. game. All right. <laughs> There's this idea in Ayurveda. It's really beautiful. It's very poetic. All the Ayurvedic verses are written originally in poetic form Mm. um, to help help us learn because it was an oral tradition. So you memorize those a lot more easily. Mm -hmm. So the I should say prose, not poetry, technically. But so this idea that you're born or from the moment of your conception, you have a constitution, and that is how you are uh, created, and that. There is a Ayurveda completely acknowledges that the spirit has infused with a form. That's the Mm -hmm. idea that consciousness and form fuse and Mm -hmm. form a being like ourselves. Right. That that was intentional from the greater consciousness, if you want to say it that way. Mm -hmm. And so that's why if you try and change your form via a fear or an anxiety or a worry Mm -hmm. that that will create illness because really there is a purpose if you want to call it that maybe that's not the word i would use but there's an intention behind your natural form and we should embrace that form because we we are built to live out a certain intention Mm. i when i hear you say that somehow i find it um very reassuring in a way, because I think it makes it a lot easier and maybe listeners will have a, a different perspective here, but it makes it easier to lean into what you have, what you are, as opposed to trying to be something else. And so I know um, from my perspective, I know a little bit about Ayurveda. Um, I've certainly used Ayurvedic products or, or certain supplements and this and that, but not really thrown myself into it. And part of that, and hopefully you'll be able to address this, part of that is confusion about um, where does one start? How does one begin? Do you need to have a full workup first? Can you, do you have to study it as though you're going to be a practitioner? How, how much of a lifestyle is stepping into this, this understanding of, of the spirit and form combined, energy and form combined? to, to make that lifestyle shift. I don't even want to say change shift shift. Yeah. That's a great question. There are a lot of answers to it. (laughs) Right. Um, the, the basically Ayurveda is designed as a complete system. So it's designed, you know, there's no such thing as doing just one Ayurvedic thing and ignoring everything else. It's not going to work at all. May as well not try. Right. So I can't take Trifla, which is a supplement you'll find at Whole Foods these days. Right. right? And then turn around and eat a cheeseburger. Ayurveda is like, what's the point of taking Trifla? You know, Mm -hmm. don't do it. Right. Right. So there is that component. That being said, that doesn't mean you have to become Ayurveda. 
uh, to, to experience its effects. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like do literally everything, every practice. If you did, you'd spend all day long, every day doing Ayurvedic practices. It's mm-hmm. not necessary because okay. there are thousands of them. Right. 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 The idea is the whole idea underlying all the tips and tricks and herbs and protocols and all that is that depending on how out of balance you are, you need to get inside that sphere right. of balance okay. for your constitution. Mm-hmm. That's where a practitioner, an Ayurvedic doctor, someone comes in. They say, okay, I'm going to tell you how to go from way outside the sphere or maybe a little bit outside the sphere, mm-hmm. or even better, I'm going to tell you how to stay inside the sphere. But um, let's, most people come to you when they're halfway outside the sphere before okay. they get really, really, really sick. Okay. Okay. How do I get from here back? Mm-hmm. And you're going to, uh, we would form a lifestyle that kind of maps that pathway back. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be unique to you. That's okay. going to be based on what you got going on. Do you have kids? Do you not have kids? Are you married? Do you have a boyfriend, girlfriend? What's your work life like? All that stuff. And yeah, it can get challenging because sometimes something that you want to hold on to is the thing that's making you sick. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets real. That's where the rubber hits the road. And that's where it really helps to have someone outside of your own brain because we all know it. We all do it. We'll make as many excuses as we have to. Yeah. To hold on to that thing we want to hold on to. What what right. what might be an example of holding something that someone would hold on to? Oh, um, or a few. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First, easy one. Um, forty year old male business executive mm-hmm. has to work, chooses to work ten to twelve hours a day, high pressure deadlines, the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, interacting with other pittas who are very high performers typically, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a vibe, right? Let's go, right. let's go, let's go, let's do it. Focus. Don't talk to me about your problems. Shut up and get the do- job done, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Very pitta energy, which is great because it gets jobs done. But so this guy comes into the clinic, you know, hey, I'm making up a name, Jim. How you doing? Hey, you know, the past two weeks, I've got really bad hyperacidity, acid reflux type stuff, you know? Um, but I can't afford to have this because tomorrow I've got a deadline. The day after that, I've got another deadline. Give me a pill to fix it. Mm. Ayurveda is going to say, no, mm. no, no, no. Not going to work that way. Right. Right. Okay. Jim, do you realize that if you keep going this direction, the next thing is an ulcer. Mm-hmm. And then if you keep going and you ignore your ulcer, the next thing is stuff we don't want to talk about. Right. right. Okay. So what does Jim do? What do we talk to Jim about? Okay, Jim, how many cups of coffee are you drinking a day? Well, I wake up and I'm really tired, but I got to perform. So I drink three cups of coffee in the morning. Mm. Okay. Of course that's aggravating the problem. Right. But if you have a conversation with Jim and say, okay, you got to stop the coffee. It's like, wait a second. I can't stop the coffee. I have to perform at work. I need that focus. Mm -hmm. Is there another way to get it? Not as good as coffee. And the conversation rolls on. Mm -hmm. That's just one example. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and sometimes it's just things that we don't even realize we fall into the habit of like having three cups of coffee a day because it helps us to, to wake up and say, well, if you did some, you know, ego eradicator, you know, (laughs) breathing (laughs) for about three to seven minutes this, you know, in the morning, you'll, you'll be great. Um, So, okay. So when you have well, then you have to ask the question, why would someone like that come to an Ayurvedic doctor? 
you know, and, and what kind of shifts do you experience people are actually willing to make? That is a profound question because it runs really deep. Okay. The reason that person's showing up to an Ayurvedic doctor typically, and we'll just keep running with Jim, mm-hmm. uh, our made up client, is <laughs> that the, ca- the case is real, the name's made up, mm. um, is that they, they're tired of taking the Prilosec, the Nexium, the Right. All that stuff, right? They know, they know inside that if they keep doing what they're doing, they got a problem, a big mm-hmm. problem. Because Jim's not just a high power business executive. He's a father. He's a husband. Right. He, you know, all this others, he loves to play sports. He wants to do his other things. Mm-hmm. It's just the lifestyle he's developed for himself is very heavy in one direction. Right. So the deeper conversation starts to unfold about, okay, how are we going to make lifestyle changes that are realistic, meaning you don't up and quit your job and move to the Himalayas, right? right? right. But because if you hear in Jim's talk, there's a lot of fear involved. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, if I don't do this, I don't perform, then what? Then I get fired. Then I can't take care of my family. Then I can't. Yeah. That's a lot of fear. Yeah. Ayurveda says it from the get-go. You've got fear, it creates a division between yourself and your soul. If I just Mm -hmm. can shortcut and use the word soul, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is the ultimate root cause of every imbalance. If you want to trace it back down all the way to the roots, yeah. So that conversation we can all resonate with, Mm -hmm. and that's where Ayurveda really can step in and help people because it's not just going to a doctor's office and saying, What's your problem? You got two minutes. Okay, got it. Those are your symptoms. Here's something that hopefully changes your symptoms. Mm-hmm. Ayurveda is not going to do that. Ayurveda is going to say, let's talk. Let's get down to the roots of this thing. Let's see how we can actually change your lifestyle. That's what lifestyle medicine really is. It's yeah. not, do I take a vacation for two weeks or not? Mm-hmm. Right. Lifestyle medicine is how do I construct my life in a way that generates health instead of parasites my health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when, when you look at the alternative, it becomes a little more attractive to, to make those changes. Yeah. Yeah. Way attractive. You're you're not going to do well if you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. A line I use, um, when it's appropriate is look, if your health goes down, you go down period. So this, you know, great job. You have this, we all have this idea. I can make it through the next two weeks Mm -hmm. until that two weeks where bam, that was the moment, right? That was the moment that you can't take it anymore. And right. Then, then you're forced into rest. And mm-hmm. at that point, it's a lot harder to come back than if you take care of it earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. a, a big conversation I have with a lot of clients is getting them out of this mindset that it's efficient to do a negative activity until you're sick. It's actually much more efficient, much more profitable. Take any realm of life you want to, mm-hmm. to deal with a health problem while it's small even if it's inconvenient in that moment. Right, right. And so, and I know, as you said, it's very, it's very different for everyone, but is there, um, is there a sort of map or menu that, you know, is almost always followed in, in Ayurvedic medicine, for example, the diagnostic meeting and, and all of that. So, Take us through, if you could, roughly what might happen if someone were to call you up or or want to have a uh, an, a consultation with you. Yeah, yeah. The there is a rough roadmap, and a, like you said, it changes. But rough sure. roadmap. Yeah. 
you know, get the phone call. Hey, you know, Mary, what's going on? Hey, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to talk to you about my health. I've been to a few doctors. I, I don't know what's going on. No one can figure it out. And can I come see you? Yes, of course. Come on in. So this is pre COVID obviously right now it's yeah. Come on in meaning join my zoom room, right. um, which is great. It works great actually. Yeah. Um, so they come on in either in person or in the zoom room and they fill out, you fill out a form, right? So, you know, the whole health history, the whole nine yards, all the medications you're taking, blood work, all of it, right? Okay. okay. Like we're all used to. Mm-hmm. So I looked that over prior to the consultation, get an idea of what's going on. Then we sit down, we start a conversation and that's the initial consultation. So we look at your tongue, look at your eyes, look at your ears, look at your nose. If you're in person, read your pulses, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful Ayurvedic diagnostic technique that you want to talk about that next. Yeah. yeah. I wrote a book on that. Um, but we engage in a dialogue that's at least minimum, almost an hour long mm-hmm. on an initial consultation. So we really get into the juice of what you've got going on. Mm-hmm. And to my Ayurvedic doctor ears, a lot of times you're just talking, but I'm hearing patterns, patterns, mm-hmm. patterns, patterns, because an Ayurvedic doctor is trained to know what things are connected in the body that we don't nor- wouldn't normally know just by being people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm constipated and I have headaches, but those are said in you know 20 minutes apart. Right, right, right. right. But in Ayurveda, those are like part and parcel. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we start creating this, I start creating this picture and then we talk about it and we educate a little bit, right? The whole idea is you should illuminate your own, what's going on inside your own body so that you could understand so that one day you don't need an Ayurvedic doctor. Right. The whole point of doing Ayurveda is at the end, at the end of the day, be self-sufficient in your health. Right. Okay. So that all goes on. Questions are answered a lot of times. Very emotional things are talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's appropriate, traumas are talked about because mm-hmm. those have a massive influence on our health. Definitely. Um, anxieties, worries, depression, especially in COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Co- depression right now is the number one debilitating disease in the United States. Yeah. Number one. Not right? surprised. Yeah. So that has a massive influence on the nervous system, the mm-hmm. vagus nerve, autonomic nervous system, right. parasympathetic, sympathetic all yeah. that stuff yeah. completely governs your digestive prowess and mm-hmm. potency and so on and so forth. Aggravate symptoms. If you're depressed, all of them, everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, you know, that's the first two thirds of the consultation. Mm-hmm. Last third of the consultation is okay. Let's, let's start. Cause it's very rare that someone gets everything that they need to do all at once because mm-hmm. it can be quite overwhelming. Right. And very ineffective. I've, in my early days, I tried doing that. Doesn't work, um, except for a rare few people. We start getting real. Okay, we roll out a plan. Here's what we're going to do first. Here's what we're going to do second. These are the herbs you're going to take. Why? Right? This is the meal plan you're going to engage in or at least start to engage in. Mm-hmm. And then they would start doing follow-up consultations as needed, like to give people a range if someone's struggling with heavy addiction. It could be daily right? Mm -hmm. They need someone talking to them every day. Yeah. If it's something like, you know, a minor, like arthritis, right? Let's just go with arthritis. Doesn't usually need a day-to-day thing. You know, you talk again after a week, make sure everything's going okay. Then maybe after another two weeks and maybe after a month, and then you Mm -hmm. just take it from there. Right. But there's always going to be a diet. There's always going to be lifestyle change. There's always going to be timing changes. 
And there's always going to be some kind of conversation about self-awareness around what's creating the true cause of the issue. Okay. Okay. Great. Are there any absolute no-nos in Ayurveda? Like absolute zero, can't, no tolerance besides, you know, hard drugs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely no-nos in Ayurveda. Um, Seven volumes of no nos. Actually, <laughs> um, sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, and you know the language. In the, yeah, the language in the in the time Ayurveda thousands of years ago when it was written down can be quite harsh. They don't pull punches like we do now. It wasn't very PC. Uh, okay. But, you know stuff like you know someone who spends their time indulging in unnecessary foods and destroys their sense senses later in life is a fool. You know, things like that. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So <laughs> not gentle. Yeah. yeah not okay. gentle at all. But I don't talk like that um, <laughs> for a good reason. So it's just, it's funny to look back on. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, number one biggest no no, don't eat a huge heavy meal at night. Okay. It's usually, if someone says, what's the one thing, you know, you could change? Mm-hmm. That's usually what I say. I say either skip dinner or eat so light that it's hardly dinner. Right. Um, I could, I could go on for days about the health benefits of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another big no, no is don't, don't just give in to all your fears and anxieties and identify them as yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a big one. You know, classic one. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a control freak. Right. Period. It's like, oh. do you want to do something about that? No, that's just who I am. That's a big no, no in Ayurveda. And I'm going to stop you there, pause you there, because I deal with that in therapy all the time. And that's one of the biggest uh, pieces of work that we do is to understand how we are multifaceted beings. And that if we begin to identify with these labels like control freak or or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm um, just tightly wound, you know, or I'm an angry person. And I, and we have to stop and say, listen to that and listen, you know, what does that feel like when you say that in your body? What does that feel like? Does that go like this or does that go like this? You know? And, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear you bring that up because I love that it, it actually does bridge a gap between looking at your, your psycho-spiritual health as well. Yeah. So please continue. Yeah, no, I mean, that Ayurveda is huge on that. And you know, what's great, I've found what's great when someone's really stuck in an identity like that is Kundalini yoga. Mm -hmm. It is so good, because it's just like, you know, you know, as a therapist, you know, when someone's really on that, yeah, you can't just be like, well, change your mind. It's not going to work. You're not going to get through, right? Right, right. So, you know, it's like, oh, okay, try this uh, breath exercise and yoga posture as part of your protocol. And, you know, before they know it, three weeks later, it's like, you know, I don't feel as controlling anymore. Oh, the identity is starting to break down, right? Yeah, yep. And that's what Ayurveda would prescribe. Ayurveda would prescribe yoga for that kind of issue. Beautiful. Because the real identity of ourselves as uh, in union with all Mm -hmm. is the ultimate aim of Ayurveda and yoga. Yep. Um, and Ayurveda just deals with the gross physical body very intensely. Mm-hmm. Yoga deals with the gross physical body, of course, as a vehicle, but then focuses on the more subtle body type, you know, experiences and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I work with my patients in that regard too, whether it's actually teaching them some, you know, some Kriyas or, or perhaps even just meditation that's, that's geared toward a certain um, experience you know, rather than just the the breathing and the focusing on the breath, which is great. But sometimes uh, people need a little bit of guidance about, you know, or, or what I call focused um, meditation. Um, and movement is so important too. moving, moving the energy through the body to lots of stuck places that need to be worked through. Um, and yeah, so, so it's, it's just beautiful how everything kind of dovetails in that way. Yeah. Um, so I feel like maybe I, I interrupted you and you were still going to continue with. Okay. Um, no, yeah. No, I guess the only thing left about, uh, you know, what it looks like if someone comes to do an Ayurveda session is there's a whole bunch of Ayurveda that has been, you know, kind of on lockdown for the past year, but Ayurveda has, so many therapies, I mean, physical body therapies, mm -hmm. the pinnacle of which is called Panchakarma, which is a whole long series of therapies yes. over many days, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very unique way of looking at detoxifying because that's a buzzword today. But detoxifying is not always right for people. And you yeah. need to do it very carefully. And Ayurveda has a beautiful way of prescribing detoxification because you simultaneously rejuvenate. Mm. Um, so it avoids the depletion aspect. And that is a whole science. I mean, people in India go to school for seven plus years to learn the art of Panchakarma. Wow. Um, it is intense. Yeah. But then there are just Ayurvedic therapies like Ayurvedic oil massage and Ayurveda mm -hmm. is big on oil, right? So mm -hmm. an herbal oil because oil carries the medicinal principles of herbs mm -hmm. deep into the body. Yeah. Into the tissues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the gist. So Ayurveda is not just talking and then right. changing habits. There is a embodied, and you reminded me of this, a body somatic experience mm -hmm. of healing because Ayurveda is very clear. The nature of the mind, we have a terrible habit, even if we know better in the West, you know, some, you say, where's your mind? Oh, right here in my head. Right. I don't know. First no. of all, Ayurveda says the seat of the mind, meaning it's throne is the heart. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's poetic. That's metaphorical. No, it's not. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Um, but really, the mind is pervasive throughout the entire body. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's the vagus nerve, too. Yeah. The vagus nerve is the mind-body link. The, exactly. The mythical mind-body link. That is not <laughs> mythical anymore. Yeah. Thank goodness. Because it certainly makes working with people a lot easier when we can say, look, this is what's actually happening. This isn't woo-woo stuff, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah we, should, we should apologize to all the people we called woo-woo in the past because they were right the whole time. I know. I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so the podcast that we're recording for here is called self-talk and, and, it, and we did kind of touch on that, you know, when we, when we refer to ourselves as, as being a certain thing, or I am this, I am that, that's self-talk, you know, you're, you're reminding yourself that you are, um, whatever you decide that, that you are, um, and this is going to be a heavy question, but I think you can handle it. What does the self mean to you? The self, small self or big self? Both. Uh, that's a, I like the breakdown. Let's go with it. <laughs> you know? The small self is Victor, the Ayurvedic doctor, the husband, the yoga student, the 
you know, guy who has that bad habit, the, all that stuff, that's the small self. And, um, there's something in yoga and Ayurveda called ahankara, which we translate in the West as ego, but that's not fair Mm -hmm. because ego is such a loaded term. Yeah. Um, ahankara is the container that holds ego inside ego. I would say like, you know, my ego is I like, I don't like, I am, I am not things Mm -hmm. like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know there's debate about even what ego is and all these theories and stuff, but yeah, just in general, right? Right. The general understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My basic core identities that keep me alive and are very focused on how I navigate the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Ahankara is just a sense of self. Like I am an independent being and there is space between me and you. All right. So that's, you know, I walk around most of the day and let's not lie. I'm not like pretending to be some like, Ooh, you know, like that's how I experience life most of the time. Mm-hmm. That's just my experience of life. But there are those occasions when, especially in meditation or when I'm having kind of more exalted experiences mm-hmm. where I can break free temporarily from that identity. And I don't feel the constraints of that separation quite so acutely. Yes. And yeah. things become more like a Monet painting. Yes. Blend together a little bit more. And mm-hmm. it's not so clear. It's like, yeah, I could say I'm separate from you, but why would I? Because maybe I'm not, you know? Right, right. And that becomes a visceral experience in in the form, in mm-hmm. the ahankar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think it's important to distinguish between ahankara and ego. Yeah. Because the ego cannot have that experience. Right. That's right. Uh, it's, too, it's too isolated. And in those times, those are the times where, you know, it's, anyone who's experienced it, they'll smile a little bit. And it's like, they're beautiful times. That's mm-hmm. when you remember, you know, it's really, I feel like it is like, oh yeah, I forgot. But now I remember, like, mm-hmm. there's more to it than just what I'm walking around thinking about, eating about, you know, drinking about, like all that stuff. Yeah. There's there's more here. And, you know, the desires satiate for a minute. You're not concerned with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, all the dramas fade away for a minute. So I'd say that, yeah, sure. I get it why people would call that the true self for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I'll call it the true self too. Yeah. Okay. That works. And that's what I call <laughs> it too. So, um, but it actually, it reminds me of what you were saying at the very beginning of about um, that each one, you know, each patient that you have is individual, each person who might be prescribed a certain Ayurvedic um, treatment will have you know, you're looking at them individually, but at the same time, and this is the great paradox, right? Everyone's an individual, but we are all connected. And I love the Monet painting analogy because um, I, it's this idea that if we think of the individual as as one stroke in one color, it's beautiful unto itself, um, but it is necessary. All of them individually are necessary to create the painting. You know, so if if that stroke wasn't exactly the way it was, it would affect the entire painting. It would be a different painting. So we have this responsibility to be the best paint stroke we can be, right? To make that painting beautiful. So um, and so that seems to be, and, and I'm, I'm getting the vibe that that's what Ayurveda is about too. Getting you to be your true self as as much as is possible. Um, and that contributes to everything around you, and not just people, but nature and 
small woodland creatures and 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 that kind of thing you know where wh- how we interact with the world around us you know at our highest game you yeah know? yeah that's beautiful i mean yeah it's a perfect metaphor I, I don't know how else to talk about it really i know those kinds of things those kinds of experiences and identities lend themselves to metaphor because you know it's captured in a monet painting i mean you gotta yeah. wonder what the guy was experiencing right yeah, I don't know what whatever he he got a hold of that was good stuff. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to talk briefly because I said I wanted to come back to this. Let's talk about pulses for a second. Okay. Um, yeah. To, I mean, if for it, let's just talk about it for a second since you've written yeah, one a whole book. Yeah, yeah, one second. You know, we'll just tell us all about it. Uh, no, um, I I am fascinated by it. I you know my acupuncturist would always you know, work with pulse before we did anything, um, which I think is pretty standard, but tell us a little bit about the importance of a pulse. What, what kind of things can you learn from a body? Everything. Um, what's (laughs) in a pulse. So, you know, we go to the allopathic doctor and they read your pulse, you get your heart rate. And if the doctor's really good, they'll measure your heart rate variability, which is how much your pulse changes. It's the rhythm of your pulse, not the rate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, and then uh, maybe if the doctor's really, really good, they'll measure your blood pressure via feeling your pulse. But usually we got machines for that now. Mm -hmm. So, but the idea of pulse reading in Ayurveda, and it's shared in Chinese medicine, that they came from the same roots. Um, And then there's also, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. There's a Middle Eastern medicine called Unani. Mm -hmm. um, And that is also big on pulse reading. So that whole region right out of that whole region. And then it traveled elsewhere. This art of pulse reading came to be because it's a really wonderful diagnostic technique. One, it's easy. You could read anyone's pulses almost any time, mm-hmm. right? Very practical. And Ayurveda is big on practicality. So if we're reading a pulse, we put our fingers, Ayurveda used three fingers, same as Chinese medicine, index, middle, and ring finger. Mm-hmm. And you place it on your radial artery, which if anyone's watching the video, is mm-hmm. below the radial tubercle right there on the thumb side okay. of the wrist. Okay. Okay. And so you start getting your pulse rate. So it's like, oh, that's fun. Let's count. One, two, three. Right okay. Now. Yeah, exactly. Beats per minute. So right. that's one thing. And that can tell you a lot, just the beats per minute, the rate. The rhythm can tell you a lot. The force, how powerful is the pulse hitting the skin? That tells you a lot about the prakriti. Pittas have a very powerful pounding force, Mm -hmm. right? Vatas have a very light touch. And kaphas have this like rolling feeling across your fingers. Okay. So, right, remember the form and the quality cannot be separated. So that's huge with pulse reading. Because when you feel a feeling in the pulse as a form or a quality, then you can determine the presence of the former quality within the rest of the body. Wow. Okay. Or the prominent, the prominence of that former quality in the, re- yeah. in the rest of the body. Right. So then, does yeah, it change? Does it change? Does one's pulse change? Uh, like depending on what's going on with them and, you know, in, in terms of their health, if they're sick or if they're stressed, obviously if they're stressed, your blood rate, your blood pressure goes up, but yeah. Does it change? Constantly. constantly you go to the bathroom it changes you eat food it changes you wake up it changes you go to sleep it changes you talk to a person you like it changes you talk to a person you don't like it changes you see your dog it changes Mm -hmm. you smell a lavender scented candle 
like you got in the background. I don't know if it's lavender, but I'm imagining it is. It changes. If I imagine I'm smelling lavender, my pulse changes. Wow. All of it. Mm. It is so sensitive. And that's why it's so great for diagnostics. Mm. Um, Because you can do both. You can get a real-time snapshot of where the person's at. And that's like the first layer of the pulse. The pulse has many layers of depth. Okay. And, but if you go down all the way to the deep layer, if you press your fingers all the way down and read the deep layer of the pulse, that's their basic constitution. And that is much less changeable. Okay. Okay. And then between the first layer and the seventh layer, there are five layers in between for seven layers total. Wow. Wow. And that's just one style of pulse reading. There are many styles of pulse reading. Okay. But what's always fun is I always love it when I get a skeptic because, you know, it's fun. Because it's like, well, how can you prove that this is a technique that really assesses the body? It's mm-hmm. like, well, maybe science just hasn't caught up with it yet. Because I could probably prove certain things if I wanted to take the time to sit down and create a double blind study, blah, 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 on and on. But here's the deal with pulse reading as I see it. I'm an extraordinarily sophisticated, complex, nuanced being. I have an extraordinary, sophisticated, complex nervous system with billions upon billions of connections, if not trillions, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. My sense of touch is so refined that when I feel something and it runs through my nervous system, if I've trained myself to do so, it can get filtered through what we'll call our intuition. Mm. Okay. Good luck creating a scientific study to measure intuitive capacity, (laughs) right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the reality is that just because there's no way to study it well today, that doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So you read the pulse and you feel all these layers and it's all about, it's not, there are pulse reading machines, Ayurvedic pulse reading machines out there. And that's what that is, but it's not a substitute for a, a real organic being picking up signals from that other real organic being right. and then putting patterns together, just like we would in a conversation. Right. Right. When you talk to me, I'm getting all sorts of information about you and you're getting all sorts of information about me. Right. And whether we're cognizant of it or not in the particular moment, mm-hmm. our body is just reading, 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 reading. Right. Right. And that's good. It should. Because you're picking up on all this body language. You're picking up on the prosody of my voice. You're picking up on how many times I'm blinking. You're picking up on all sorts of stuff. Right. Right. Same with the pulse. I'm picking up on every little nuance of every quality on multiple points on each fingertip on different layers. That's Mm. a lot of permutations and combinations. Yeah. And just like playing an instrument, when you change the finger positioning on the pulse, you prompt the pulse to give you a certain type of answer. So if I want to feel about your cardiac health, I'll move a certain finger to a certain position. And Mm. that's basically asking, quote unquote, the pulse, tell me about this body's heart. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. And it does. And then you start putting patterns together and patterns together and patterns together. And if you've got a good pulse reader reading your pulse, they've got so much experience and hopefully a neutral and clear mind that they see, they then see or feel or hear the answer that of it's like, okay, look, I get it. You've got a liver problem, a stomach problem, a pancreatic problem, pitta's high, right? In general, and the subdoshes of pitta, which are dealing with all your digestive enzymes, are off the charts going crazy, mm-hmm. right? 
if I have that information, it's not hard to put the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and you know, um, and it's a lot more efficient and accurate, I would think than self-reporting even because sometimes people don't even realize what's going on with their bodies. Yes. That is a huge thing because there are two things that happen in the clinic and let's just be honest. And you know, this from your practice, Mm -hmm. either people are unaware, genuinely unaware what's going on. They're in denial or oblivion or naivety, right? Or they're lying Mm -hmm. and they're lying to guard something that they want to guard. That's okay. No judgment. It doesn't make them an evil person. If they're lying, it's just information, right? In a a clinical context. Mm -hmm. And so what the pulses do is it gets rid of all that. Right. Right. You can't, the pulses don't lie. They don't. Right. Mm -hmm. The body's not going to lie to the practitioner who knows how to listen. And that's great because even if it can create a tough moment where the lie is confronted by different information, then in the end, it's out of compassion because it's the betterment of that for that person's life. Right. Exactly. Um, And the other thing is that in someone, when someone genuinely doesn't know, and most of the time that's the case, right? Mm -hmm. I got a stomach ache. Why? They don't know. No, but that's what the pulses reveal. This stomach ache's not coming from the colon. It's actually coming from the liver, whatever. Okay. Right? Yeah. Or vata is high, not pitta, because both can create a stomach ache. So which one is it? Interesting. Right. Yeah. Because then the, the course of therapy is completely different. Right. And so it's yeah. important to have that information. That, exactly. my mind is blown because <laughs> just putting that out there, that's amazing to get so much information. You know, I know a little bit about muscle testing and things like that, but this is different. This is like much more detailed and, and, um, uh, and I can see how it'd be an immense benefit to, to prescribing in an Ayurvedic sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's overwhelming the information. A lot of times, a lot of times it's not about where is the information? It's like, okay, how do I filter this information? Wow. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, I thank you. I, I want to, you know, that's, that's amazing. All, all of this has been great before we wrap it up. I'd like to know if you, how people can get in touch with you and, um, are you seeing new patients or you, how do we find your book? Uh, let us know all that. Sure. Uh, you can always find me at the website, I, I, Ayurveda, Dot com and that's a y u r v as in victor e d as in dog a dot com mm-hmm. i i ayurveda mm-hmm. yeah i i ayurveda dot com and then yes i am taking new clients um if they're the right fit i always like to kind of we you know that's easy though most people are the right fit so happy to talk to anyone who is looking mm-hmm. for help okay and um the book you could find on the website, or I think you'll you'll post it in the show notes, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to. Yeah, yeah you I'm can get it easily via the uh, directly from the store or on Amazon. You can pre-order it. It's not out on Amazon yet. Okay. Uh, March 29th, it gets released. And I'm always happy to talk to people. I've got workshops, um, constantly doing education. We got a pulse reading course coming up in June. Great. That uh, for any healers listening to this and are interested in learning that art can benefit any healer from any tradition. Um, and it's pretty easy to integrate into your own framework. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, you know, I also do medical astrology, medical Jodish. Oh, wow. Um, those who are interested in it, which is also one of the Ayurvedic arts um, <laughs> is using 
astrology to help, you know, unwind the uh, ball of yarn, so to speak. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to ask this question because I know that I'm, I'm picking up that this is going to be asked. Do, does one need to be independently wealthy to take on <laughs> an Ayurvedic lifestyle? <laughs> uh, great question. No. And I love talking about that question because we need to just, you know, get rid of the stigma around talking about money. Yeah. Uh, here's how I work. There is, uh, Ayurveda does not take insurance. It is not right. licensed anywhere in the United States. So right. it can, cannot take insurance anywhere mm-hmm. in Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. So it's not just my clinic, it's any clinic. Right. I, I charge $175 for an initial consultation. Mm-hmm. And um, then it's usually another $30 to $50 for herbal formulations, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep that price fair. And then follow-ups are $65. But here's what I say. If anyone is in genuine financial need mm-hmm. and they need help, health help, I will not turn them away. I will create an arrangement with them that will make it work for them. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for speaking frankly about that because yeah, it's, it's something that we don't talk about much. Like, well, that's a great idea, but I'm not sure I can, I can afford it. And it's nice to know that, um, you know, what would actually be financially needed in order to, to investigate this. So, well, Victor, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you. And I feel, you know, very well educated, at least at the beginning, you know, the early stages of learning more about Ayurveda. Thank you, Rachel. I really loved being on the show and you ask great questions. So as <laughs> <laughs> what I do. Job easy. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I'm, as I said, uh, or as you mentioned earlier, I'm definitely going to post all these links in the show notes and, uh, on social media when it gets out there. Um, until then, and of course I'll let you know when this has gone live, which will be very soon. So, um, Thank you again. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Talk to you soon.